Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits this week. Today, I have another athlete to guest for a change. It's not a doctor or a scientist. It's an athlete. And this is an incredible athlete. One of my role models from childhood, Lorraine Moller. Lorraine, if you don't know her, she's um, a, an absolute uh, legend. She's a four times Olympian. She won the Boston Marathon. That's a serious marathon to win. She has won the Osaka Marathon four times. She's been, yeah, she was in the first four marathons for women in the Olympics, which is an incredible thing. Uh, she's also was a, a middle distance runner before doing marathon. Um, and she's also the, the sister of my good friend Gary Moller, who I've had on the show previously. And Lorraine shares her insights on what it is to be an elite athlete. And Lorraine is still training athletes today as part of the Lydiard Foundation, Arthur Lydiard. She came through that school of Arthur Lydiard's training style. So it was really interesting to talk to her and sort of go head to head on on ideas around coaching. Um, So she is uh, available there for her help if anyone wants to find out more. And yeah, really interesting conversation with a very uh, onto it lady. Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. And it's really nice when you get to meet uh, your heroes from yesteryear, so to speak, or when you were a kid and they're just as cool as you thought they would be. Um, before we go over to the show, make sure you um, check out our patron program. If you haven't joined already on the podcast family, we would love you to be a part of our VIP family. And there are a lot of member benefits when you do, if you wouldn't mind helping us out, keeping this great content coming to ear. We've been doing it for five and a half years now. Um, it's a globally top 200 ranked podcast now in health, fitness and medicine. And we need your help to stay there. We need your help to keep bringing this content out. It's a huge labor of love. I've been doing it for five and a half years and guys, I could really do with a bit of a hand. So for the price of a cup of coffee a month, it's really a, a very small uh, contribution. If you would like to become a member, please go over to patron.lesatarmity.com. And uh, I'd like to also remind you to head on over to our website, lisatarmati.com, and check out our epigenetics program. Um, this is all about understanding your genetics and how to optimize them. And this is our flagship program, the one that we've been doing for a number of years. We've taken literally hundreds of people through this program, and it's been a huge success for people changing their lives and having helping them optimize. So no longer doing the whole trial and error thing or the one size fits all. Medicine and fitness and all of these areas, nutrition, should all be personalized now according to your genetics. And that's what you should expect from your health professionals. And this is a very powerful program that can help you sort of optimize that. So go and check that out at lisatarmity.com and hit the work with us button. Um, we also have our NMN, our longevity and anti-aging supplement that I'm recently uh, started bringing into the country and for New Zealand and Australia. I've teamed up with molecular biologist Dr. Um, Alina Seranova. Uh, this is an independently certified uh, scientist-backed and developed product. This is a longevity supplement that is aimed at upregulating the sirtuin genes, which are longevity genes in the body, and the science is too complicated to name here, but I would love you to check out those two episodes that I've done with Dr. Alina Seranova, and also head on over to NMN Bio 
dot nz that's n m n bio dot nz if you'd like more information and more on the science behind it or reach out to me and i can send you a whole lot of information around it um i've been on it now for over seven months and my mum's been on it too for that period of time we've had huge changes actually my whole family has and we've all had different things that it's really helped us with uh it's working on a number of levels so make sure you check that out right over to the show now with lorraine moller Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today, I have an amazing woman to guest who um, is certainly one of my role models. Um, Lorraine Moller, welcome to the show. Fantastic to have you here with me. Thank you, Lisa. Fantastic to be here with you. I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, already, we, <laughs> before we got recording, we already delved into some deep topics. So who knows where this conversation is going to go, but I think it'll go pretty deep. You are a legend in the world of running. You have so many, you're four times Olympian. You've won the Boston Marathon. You've won the Osaka Marathon three times. You've, 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 you're an author. You are still involved with, with running. Lorraine, can you just give us a little bit of your background for starters? Uh, when did you realize that you were an, uh, uh, this amazing, incredible athlete? You know, what was your childhood like? And, and you know, shall we go back that far? Yeah, <laughs> certainly uh, not uh, in my childhood. Although you know, we were brought up in a time where uh, we were naturally active and very just a part of uh, nature and. Uh, you know, engaged in the community and local athletics and swimming and, you know, all those things and uh, walked bare feet and, uh, you know, just, you know, went to the beach on the weekends and got sunburned and, uh, you know, all those <laughs> sorts of things. So, um, so it was a very um, lovely, uh, free, close to nature sort of upbringing. In, in my little town of Pataru, right in the middle of the North Island, and uh, where everybody knew everybody, and um, you know, it was uh, just pretty easy living, and our needs were pretty simple. And those were the times when we had the the uh, quarter acre section with the own uh, with the garden out the back, and yep. you know, we'd have tea, up, and it's like, okay, go get a cabbage <laughs> for tea, and they, so you'd go, you know, cut one and bring it in, and so um, it was, yeah. I, I suppose it sounds idyllic, but uh, it, in certain terms, it was. You know, it was uh, just fabulous. Uh, basis for uh, growing up healthy. Um, I had my trials as a kid. I was uh, in hospital a few times and just uh, that separation and uh, just the um, emotional um, angst of being taken away from my family for long Mm -hmm. periods of time um, was very lonely. Um, And I think that uh, was I think, you know, we have things that happen to us and they sort of set you up. They yep. set your story up and, and then uh, it's like, okay, go see what you make of it. So um, I had, uh, I think, um, the running for me was a real freedom mm-hmm. and uh, something that um, just, uh, it, uh, I don't think I, it was something that I really decided to do, I just think it's something that took me. 
Uh, <laughs> it happened to uh, you. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, and uh, the, uh, one of the key events was uh, when I went to high school and we graduated from the little kiddies athletics doing 50 yards, 100 yards, you know, yeah, I'm that old. It was yards. <laughs> and, um, and we graduated to being able to do the 440 yards. And in my first 440 yard mm-hmm. race at the local club, I could beat the girls who beat me in the sprints. And wow. that was like, yeah, man, you know, yeah. you just give me a little bit longer. I, I've got your number, you know. So um, I was really excited by that. And uh, so I started to uh, get really keen and show up and uh, go in the school events. And I won just about everything in the, in the school events. Um, just naturally but, talented at the at that sort of a yeah. Yeah. But, you know, at that time, and that would be in the 60s, um, there was, it wasn't like a girl thing to do. Mm. There was Mm. nothing in your vocabulary for a girl athlete or woman athlete or professional athlete even, you know, that just didn't exist back then. And uh, so it was not a career choice being an athlete. Um, and it was even discouraged somewhat. Yep. So uh, it was considered as a, like a man sport. And if you did too much of it, you would become manly. And um, <laughs> you know. your uterus might fall out, as Catherine said. Yeah, I know. Once. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of like universal, you know, like, um, you know, people tell you that all across the world, I think. Yep. Um, that, yeah, that was just um, a popular meme. It's sort of like if you, you know, you had to wear clean underwear in case you got run over and taken to the hospital and they find out you've got dirty underwear on, you know. So, um, (laughs) you know, those things sort of just become popular culture, but nobody really thinks about how true they are or whether they really apply. You know, we just accept them. And uh, I accepted that as a girl, you know, we didn't have longer events, that we didn't have official events. The cross country was an unofficial, usually. Uh, so we would have a men's race and then they would have a okay. little, you know, a little short girls race. But, um, you know, uh, that's just the way it, it was. I didn't think I was disadvantaged in any way. You just get in with what's available and, and go like heck, you know. And um, and I loved it. And how did you develop then, like, you know, because even like back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, yeah, there wasn't any official sort of things that you could go to. So how did you actually get, I mean, your, your later career was phenomenal. So how did you actually bridge that? It, was it a time change too that in the 70s yeah. things started to open up and or, or how did that sort of unfold? You know, uh People were really kind and the club system was uh, very nurturing. So uh, as soon as they realised I had some talent, they sort of took me in hand and I was taken to a neighbouring town of Tokoroa, which was sort of like a big town, a little town, (laughs) and uh, introduced to John Davies, who was the bronze medalist uh, from the 1964 Olympics in Tokyo. Um, and 
so that they wanted me to have a proper coach. Wow. So I was introduced into the Lydia training very wow. young, mm. from about the age of 14. And wow. uh, and for races, etc., cetera, uh, my event was the 880 yards. I, I really loved it. And so two laps of the track. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I also did cross country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those events I competed in, there were no junior women. So I was competing against women who were probably eight, 10 years my senior. Wow. Um, I did go to my first national championships in the senior women's at the age of 14. Wow. And, That's amazing. Um, yeah, and I made the final. Um, mm-hmm. I came last in the final. Uh, you know, well, I came eighth. And these women were pretty darn good, you know. Yeah, when you were 14. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just sort of like hanging on. I, I can remember coming around the straight and uh, I had uh, two people behind me and I could just see them going, oh, I'm not letting this kid beat me, you know. <laughs> really <laughs> child. Down and, yeah, burn me off. But, uh, you know, I, and I was um, going, uh, representing New Zealand from the time I was 16. Wow. So, um, that provided opportunity and that was so darn exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just to be going overseas and, you know, wearing the silver fern so and gorgeous. having a little uniform and, you know, getting on a plane and going somewhere. And uh, uh, it was just the most amazing time and I absolutely loved it. And um, And I was put into competition and uh, at a time when I was young enough not uh, not to have any respect for, for <laughs> people, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You had so, no idea what was coming at you yet. Yeah, so I sort of figured I could run with the best of them. Um, yeah, so that was sort of part of uh, my uh, makeup or my setup, um, which uh, really you know, it just went from there until finally I sort of um, took off on my own and uh, went to the US and just sort of seeking greener seeking pastures the next, and the next wide world. And yeah. Oh, wow. So, so tell me a little bit like Arthur Lydian, what, what, you know, what was he like? And tell us a little bit. You know, because I've heard you say in, in, in articles or something, there's a bit of a misrepresentation of how he trained and what what was his actual philosophy as, as an athlete that was actually in under him for a while. Um, what was he like and, and what sort of training regime did you have and, and, and how did that develop you? Yeah, I think I was really, really fortunate to grow up in New Zealand and uh, his system was pretty much adopted by the New Zealand running culture and and I think still has uh, is part of the culture yeah uh, so you know Certainly, yeah. uh, and it, it's based on endurance training so uh, that's the first thing that uh, John Davies did um, was give me a training program you know he used to uh, write it handwrite it on, on a and you know send it to me by mail so I would get a letter <laughs> with my training program written wow. on it and um you know it would be so exciting and uh, I'd run with my dad so my dad didn't want me going out there by myself or you know uh, 
uh, we ran in the bush a lot. Mm, mm. Uh, we got lost a lot, but he <laughs> wouldn't have me there by myself. Uh, although I'm sure if I'd navigated, we wouldn't have got lost. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just, uh, and we had a great time. It was um, really fun for me to get to know my dad. I don't think I would have developed that closeness. Lovely. Without having that, that running was just, um, it was just fantastic, you know. Um, so we just uh, ended up doing longer and longer runs and uh, and it was just building up mileage, just getting some aerobic base, which is really the uh, crux of the Lydia training, is that you build your aerobic capacity and that's the main engine that that will enable you to go, you know. The rest of it. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of the, you know, like I had Rod Dixon on last week on the show and, um, you know, he he's also trained under that. And, um, uh, of course, a lot of the great runners that have come out of New Zealand, and there's been many, um, have trained under that system. And then, you know, was it a real high mileage system? Like, was it, um, is there anything that you do different now? Because I know you're still involved with the Arthur Lydiard um the 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 groups that you're taking through now is there any change in the approach that you've you've had because you know a lot of the listeners out there are runners that are listening to this so um is yeah. there anything that you've learned along the way that you'd do differently now uh no no the the Lydiard system was sound I mean the only thing was you know as an athlete I'd come off a season and then I'd go oh I'm gonna just train harder than I've ever trained before you know and then I'd jump in and overdo it and you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and sort of mess it up so yeah. uh, yeah. A lot you of know, that. and that's what we do we overtrain yes and yeah um uh so the Lydiard system itself I think if you just take the way that he put it together and the, you know, he was a grandfather of periodization. We mm. didn't call it periodization. The exercise physiologists came along yeah. a lot later and then they started to put their jargon onto it and all the rest. But um, Arthur was uh, very practical. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just uh, what worked. It was about 60 years in the making. So wow. you will find Lydiard that he, that he evolved it with, you know, just trial and error and mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, as more people started to do research, he started to incorporate uh, other things. But um, he was really like just what works and what he put together uh, worked really well. And um, what I did with the Lydiard system was uh, look at what uh, were the principles not looking at the hard and fast rules. Yes. Because as soon as you start looking at rules, you uh, have limited yourself and mm. it doesn't work that way. It's a, an experiment of one. Yes. And your, your journey Love as that. an athlete is completely unique. Uh, you occupy your own place in space and time that nobody else can occupy and um, if you can respect that and uh, get away from any sort of cookie cutter stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. I love that that personalization approach. Like that's what I'm heavily into now is like, like we, we have, you know, access to genetic testing and things like that now where we can actually tailor things to, to people's genetics even. Um, but back then that, that wasn't the case, but to make it your own. So here's the framework. 
and then you make it yours that that fits with you and your your style of of being and your style of life and, and everything that fits to you rather than just forcing yourself into the confines of just this is you know black and white i think that that's pretty that's pretty insightful especially for back then um yeah yeah um so what i'm teaching now um and i teach courses through the Lydiard Foundation um, to coaches mm-hmm. on how to um, apply the, the Lydiard training. And uh, the big thing, I think, is to look at things in the overall picture because, the um, you know, you might say the devil's in the details, but the details can completely tell uh, like the devil, I can tell a, a wrong story. Um, so it's very easy for people to, uh, and most common, I think, to overshoot the mark, yeah. like to, to put in too much. Yep. And then if you do the, the uh, if you put in too much energy into the task at hand, you will get the opposite of what you intended. Yes. Yeah. Overtraining so, um, and burnout. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so, and also, we live in this culture where we think more is better. Yes, but also yeah, where we pander to uh, outsourcing our um, our uh, information, and so not tapping into this incredible vehicle that we have that uh, can synthesize and and uh, put the information together that is specifically tailor made to you. Yes, and um, that that is there. It's innate within all of us. Um, we are just not tapping it. Yeah, and I, I think the uh, journey of the athlete is a wonderful way to get to know yourself and to be able to tap that in the knowledge and to learn to oh, trust gosh, it. Yes. And um, and so the focus and this happened to me during my own running was. Uh, you know, initially you're motivated by the, uh, you know, the just winning or getting a faster time and all those kinds of things. And, you know, and then you think, well, what does it really mean? Like, it's, it's pretty silly, you know, you're all just running yeah, around. Yeah, yeah it's all a man-made. Yeah. And, and, and somebody goes, oh, I'm really great because I finished in front of you. <laughs> um, and, and you go, well, what does that really matter in the big scheme of things? Well, um in in certain terms, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, the exercise is, uh, and I just gave a talk to our uh, in our advanced classes on the hero's journey, um, and the hero's journey is that the the focus is then on the inner journey that's taking place. Absolutely, and yeah, yeah and as a path for us to get to know ourselves. And yep. uh, you know, Socrates said, "Know thyself," um, and it, it's really. Uh, sound advice because I mean, what else are you going to do? Because you, you know, you go through that, you go through life, and then suddenly you get to the other end. You go, yeah. you know. I don't know what the hell I was about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. this is this is exactly aligned with what I, you know, like to talk about, which is like, you know, that we we learn so much when we do these, you know, athletic endeavors. And I don't care whether you're good or you're really not talented and you don't have any ability. It's all about your your personal journey, and that's why any athlete who's who's just starting out and doing their first kilometre, you know, is on a journey 
to get to know their own body, their own mind, what they're capable of. And we, we find, and, you know, and it's, I hate comparing, you know, like the actual winning of races and stuff is, is amazing. But how many of us are actually going to have a career like yours where you're actually at the top of the podium? For 99% of the people, it's about what they learn along the way, the, the health benefits that they gather from their training, the strength mentally, all of these aspects are just even more important, I think, than the, than the you know, getting the gold medal put around your neck or the silver or the bronze. It is much more about a personal journey for most people, you know. Um, I mean, you as an elite athlete at the top of the, the pyramid, so to speak, did you find that as well? You know, is this... Has it had a bigger implication on your entire life and your life philosophies than just the winning part of it? Oh, yeah. So you know, in the in the end, the the inner journey became uh, more important to me mm. than the outer journey. Um, and uh, you know, uh, in a, in a way, I think with life, you know, you you have your experiences and you are influenced by you know your your parents and um you know your upbringing and uh and your ancestors and all the rest so we have all these influences that make up who we think we are mm-hmm. and i think then and then we go into our older adult life and uh we proceed accordingly uh with this concept of self which uh, then I think it starts to happen. You start to dismantle that concept of self and you yep. start gradually stripping it away so that hopefully when you're ready to go out the other end, you have uh, connected with the essence of who you truly are and not just all these roles and uh, the expectations you have and put on yourself, you know. So, um, and it you was, know, I think, yeah. Was that for you, like, was there a lot of expectation, you know, like I had a lot of expectation in my early years from my dad, who, who I loved dearly and wanted to impress and wanted to please. And and so I had a, a lot of expectation all the way through. So a lot of the things that I did weren't necessarily what I wanted to be doing. They were things that, you know, I felt compelled to do or expected to do. Was that a part of your journey with running or was that more you you just had this passion and actual, you know, like Rod just loved running, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it like for you? Which, you know, was it a cut and dried thing that this was a passion of yours or was it more of an expectation that you would, because you were so good, you know, did no, you have a question? It, yeah, Um no, it was it was mine. I mean, it was completely driven by me. Um, instigated and driven by me um, and uh, you know my family was really supportive and my dad got on board with it so my dad got into running because I was a teenager that got into running <laughs> and he figured he was like the canary in the coal mine you know if, uh, if there was if I was doing too much or overdoing it you know and he did the same as me well then he, he would cark it before I would and, <laughs> so, uh, Brilliant. So, well, lovely dad. very nice of him yeah, yeah. And, and he did you know uh, he, he actually died while he was out running um, oh wow wow soon. but um you know oh. that was uh, that was the way he wanted to exit, so uh, so he did. Well, yeah, it's never it's yeah. never a good thing to go. But if you're going to go, I suppose doing something and being healthy until the last moment is the way that most of us would like to, yeah. to exit this world. 
<laughs> and yet, you know, my parents were, oh, they were obviously proud. And I mean, you get out there and uh, especially when you're in a, an Olympics or a Commonwealth Games or something that's really big for your country, you do feel the expectation of your country and how you do. And, uh, uh, you know, it really matters. And yeah. it's quite personal. And, you know, sometimes when I didn't do that well and you get really trashed, you know, it's harsh. It's harsh. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and you just, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you get over it because you, you realise that um, you have to keep things in perspective, you know. And I think one thing I could... I could always come back to and just be in love with the journey of the race. And, um, yeah, that uh, it it didn't go away, you know. I just, that passion uh, stayed right throughout you. So, so let's talk now a little bit about the actual, some of the highlights of your, your career, because this is like for most of us, we're never going to get to do these sort of things at this level. Like, What's it like to go to the Olympics? What's it like to compete in the first marathons that women were allowed to do in the Olympics? What was that like for you? Um. Well, the the first marathons, you know, the the my uh, my foray into marathons was another thing that was sort of uh, serendipity in a way. It just sort of it sort of came to me, and uh, maybe there was a certain uh, I don't know, maybe openness for new experience. I think that yeah, that just uh, led me into longer. Uh, different yep. sorts of uh, places. But what happened um, in uh, when I left school and I was already a nationally recognised runner as a, as a high school kid and uh, what to do, and I didn't know what to do, so I decided to go to phys ed school because it was the closest thing that I could think of that suited <laughs> sporty woman, you know. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> all we and, had uh, back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, you know, that's what sporty girls do, become a phys ed teacher. So, um, and Gary was, uh, my brother was already at phys ed school in Dunedin, mm-hmm. so that seemed really easy to head off down to Dunedin. I thought that was really great because it was like really a long way from home. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, really I was exotic. Like, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> and I just loved being a student. I just thought that was so fantastic. And uh, so the first day I was there at the phys ed school, I got, um, I was, standing on the steps of the phys ed school and I was sort of looking to my left and looking to my right and I didn't know where anything was or which way to go for my run and this group of guys came running past and they were a bunch of lunchtime runners and some are very good runners and one of them looked up and saw me standing there in my running shoes and shorts and said hey chick you gotta come and run with the boys today you know <laughs> went, okay there's an invitation I can't refuse so bounded down the steps I uh glommed onto the back of this group I could barely keep up but uh we you know we did this run um and uh, the next day I was there again and the next day. And so I became uh, the girl that ran with these, this group these of guys. Crazy and, guys. Uh, 
yeah, and they sort of took me under their wing. And uh, so I did all their runs with them. And uh, Sunday was, you know, like the uh, the Needham version of the uh, Waitakere run was the um, uh, Waitatties. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just you run out somewhere over a mountain and back down the other side and you've gotten 20 miles, you know. Wow. So I started doing those every Sunday with wow. the guys. And, uh, and as an 800-meter runner, you know, I was building this incredible base and I just got stronger and stronger. Did it make you slower doing the long stuff, you know, for the for the actual short track races? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's a... Uh, um, Wow, yeah. really? I've never been fast. Actually, so I... <laughs> yeah, uh, endurance running does not make you slow. Really? Uh, no, no, it does not. Um, though you do need to do the faster work to to bring on your speed, but the endurance will enable you eventually to be able to sustain your fastest possible pace. Wow. For, that's, that's the basis of endurance. So nearly all events are... Uh, over two minutes would derive their energy mostly from aerobic yeah. uh, means, right? Yes, yeah. And uh, so the greater capacity, aerobic capacity you have, the greater capacity you have for any event over two minutes. But what about the, the, the you know, like <laughs> I've never been fast, that's why we long. <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't have a comparison really of having lost speed because I never had any to begin with. Yes. But doing the super, super long stuff, you know, the ultramarathon distances, I, you know, got dreadfully slow when it came to the shorter distances over time. Um, and I always put that down to, well, you know, my muscle, uh, you know, fast twitch fibres are mainly turned into slow twitch fibres. Um, and now actually like in the last five years where I stopped doing the, the ultra marathons and I've been concentrating more on shorter, sharper, I, you know, I'm still not fast by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm a heck of a lot faster than I used to be over the short distance. So even in your, you know, 50s, you can start to go back the other way. But it's, it's interesting for, to hear you say that, that no, you don't find that because that's, that's, um, yeah. Really yeah. Well, interesting. With uh, with some caveat, that is that if you your body will respond to what you give it. Yeah. So you know, in terms of training, it's stimulus response. Mm. So you know what training is. You are, are giving the body a specific stimulus to get a specific response from the body, and um, it it will. Uh, and it will do that really, really well. So the thing about the Lydiard Pyramid is that you build the endurance, but you don't do that um, ad infinitum, right? Right. So then this you go on and then you, <laughs> then you go through the faster phases and you develop, um, you know, the, the muscles on, uh, you know, faster twitch and, and the different ones right through to to your peak events. So we have quite a few ultra runners who come and do our coaching courses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they get in and they get really excited about doing the, the phases and yeah. uh, getting the full development. So that's the beauty, I think, of the Lydia training is that it is holistic. Mm-hmm. It, it puts all the energy systems in every uh, type of uh, training response in its rightful place, 
yep. so that you can be at your peak on the day that counts. Uh, what I find with a lot of ultra people is that uh, they've just lost their flexibility and range of motion because they haven't practiced it. That's And that's definitely a big part of our training in how we coach is, is a lot of strength and a lot of mobility in proprioception work and coordination and drills and things that traditionally when I, you know, because I started back in the dark ages too when we had no idea <laughs> and I certainly had no coaching. I, you know, back in the day I just ran and ran long because it wasn't very fast so I'd just run longer than everybody else and I was yeah. good at that. Um, but now I understand and, we, you know, what we, that, that, that whole mobility piece of the puzzle is absolutely crucial and the drills and the form and the, the strength training are all the foundational elements to be able to run the mileage, you know, it's like a pyramid for us, how we yeah. how we build it. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. And I think most ultra runners neglect that part and that's where they come unstuck to some degree, you know. Yeah. And you get very, very slow and stiff and, you know, there's reasons for that, um, but you manage to finish the distance. But the quality, you know, sometimes goes down with the, you know, the length of time yeah. that you're out there. And also, if you're out there for a heck of a long time, you, you don't want to spend much time in the air. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you just, yes. you know, you, you, you don't need a lot of upwards motion or yes. that long, beautiful stride, et cetera. So, you, you know, you develop a bit of a shuffle. A different. And that's just being efficient at the distance that you're doing. Yes. But, uh, just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join the program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatarmaty.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatarmaty.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatarmaty.com and thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating, and it is like you know, like I did, like I, like I said at the beginning, everything wrong that you could possibly do wrong. I think in my early career, <laughs> just like <laughs> go long, go long, go hard, go you know, but no strength, no mobility, no drills. I didn't know what running form was. I just ran, <laughs> and um, you know, incredible that you can still uh, achieve great you know distances in that way, but it's certainly not healthy. And, you know, it was very, very high mileage in those early days. Um, yes. And that has its own toll. And now we try to train people efficiently because most of the people that we're training are also, you know, got careers and kids and jobs and stresses. So we find that you can't train them like you would a 20-year-old professional athlete when they're a 45-year-old mum with three children and a full-on career. Then mm -hmm. you're going to break them if you have that high mileage model. 
Um, so it's much more about time efficiency and getting the best results that we can get with the level of stress that they're already under. Um, so, yeah, it's just really interesting to compare notes on, on all this, especially as you've come from the elite level. And a lot of the things that I find with people who are not in that elite group um, don't respond the same way that elite runners would. You know, like when you were doing your, uh, you know, your top level stuff, the amount of mileage and the amount of training that you would have been able to cope with is not what your average person can cope with. Um, because yeah. you would have been focused on that solely. And I think if you look historically at Lydia training, he started t- coaching the first joggers group mm-hmm. in the early 60s. Uh, so uh, the story is that he was invited after his Olympic successes um, to the Tamaki Yacht Club to talk to the businessmen there about uh, training, etc. And, uh, you know, he was asking them about, you know, their own levels of fitness and a whole bunch of them said, well, we can't do any. Our doctors told us to take it easy because we've had uh, cardiac arrest and and Arthur's like, you know, typical Arthur, Um, you know, that's absolute rubbish. You know, (laughs) if if you guys want to uh, start jogging with me, I will uh, teach you how to run a marathon. And he he had quite a group of which uh, were, Quite a, quite a few of them were cardiac patients and had that first running group, wow. and he got them to run a marathon in about nine months. Wow! So that's you're, you're talking cool. you're talking yeah. more than a couch potato. Yeah, um, yeah, and, exactly. Um, and, and he approached that differently than he would with his elite athletes, obviously. Well, he had to. Yeah, you know, because it, it, they couldn't start out on a hundred miles a week, and no. he soon realized that um, you can't expect a um, middle-aged uh, businessman, a beginning runner to yeah. do that kind of mileage mm. because mm. they spend so much more time on their feet that they're actually doing a lot more work yes. than uh, an elite runner. Yeah. So, so then uh, he changed um, the distance to duration. Yes, that's what we right. do too. Mostly is so, duration yeah. because that and, that's more. Of, yeah, because otherwise you if 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 you you know run your good marathons and in, in incredibly fast times, but the person who's at the other end of the marathon who's taking six hours, um, they're going to be out there for twice as long, you know, yeah. or longer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and it doesn't equate from an from an equivalent point of view. And that's, yeah, yeah so that's so, exactly what we do, yeah. Yeah, physiologically, it's about the same based on duration, yeah, not based on uh, distance. Mm, mm. So, you know, if you spend two hours out there and you're, you're you know, just uh, jogging along um, and that's as fast as you can go, you will have about the same effect as somebody who runs at the same effort but is heck of a lot faster. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Really interesting. Um, so, you know, the system is adaptable to all levels of runner. Mm. And uh, that's why you go on principles. So you look at uh, what you're trying to achieve and then how Love best it. to achieve it based on the level of that person. But, you know, the uh, we're all physiologically, we all basically work the same. I mean, we, we all have, you know... Um, we metabolize fats and glycogen and, and uh, you know, have the same energy systems and they are invoked at the same perceived effort or, or level of effort. Um, 
and uh, and can be developed. And we are all are uh, um, we all have this uh, system of adaptation. Mm-hmm. So and and we are all are uh, you know losing cells and regenerating them all the time. And that is uh, basically so. If you're becoming a new person. Uh, like they say, maybe 95% of our bodies is replaced every year, uh, just cells dying and new ones coming on. And, or, or, yeah, or seven uh, years. Or like say every yeah. seven yeah. years you get yeah. a completely new you. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't really matter. The point is that can you direct who you're going to be in the future? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, you can. Athletes know that. Yeah, and that's you know, what adaptation is all about and why we do yeah, it, why we train yeah, so that we get yeah. that adaptation. Uh, yeah. and, and how do you, like, get – what do you do with people? Because we get a lot of athletes who are just head through the wall, type A personalities who want to go harder than what their bodies – and, you know, I'm putting myself in this category too – harder than the, what their bodies can actually cope with. Um, they're burning themselves out, breaking themselves and, and not – actually reaping the reward that they should be for the amount of effort that's going in to their mm-hmm. training. Um, how do you try to, you know, get them to back off a bit, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so one of the key things that I teach is that uh, we start right from the beginning learning to pay attention to our own bodies and getting this rapport with ourselves and learning that uh, you, you want a cooperative relationship with your own body and, and it will give you the information that it uh, that it has and which is far better than if you're trying to uh, perform to these external measures, which there's so many of them because we can measure every freaking thing that we do, you know. Nowadays <laughs> we can. And, and sure. post it somewhere for other people to look at <laughs> and they couldn't care less because they're too busy putting theirs up yes. and wanting other people to pay attention to it. So, <laughs> you know, um, so this uh, constant pandering to uh, make ourselves into somebody that we think there's something on the outside that's going to approve of us. And it, so people who overdo it have a lack of confidence and a lack of trust in their own body and their, their own physiology. Because my goodness, your body does an incredible job to keep us alive and to keep us going and to perform the tasks that we give to it so we can achieve the dreams that we have. And man, it will bust itself yep. for you. Yep. You know, uh, but we do have sort of certain sort of measures and it will also put into place uh, when you're going to kill yourself. It goes, oh, well, I'm not doing this because this mind, <laughs> this, yeah, our minds are uh, incredible also, but most of them use the minds like a slave driver. Yes. You know? I and, certainly did. Yeah. 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 And, and so, you, you know, and you have to learn the, the hard way sometimes. Yep. yep. But, um, you know, so we have uh, like uh, being able to recognize and to know where those danger signals are and to be able to catch them and back off. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, there's, I start out my courses with talking about the fallacy of hard work. Uh, hard work is not where it's at. Everybody thinks, oh, God, you must be a really hard worker. Well, you know, I mean, I can knuckle down. But, you know, why put in more energy than the task requires? Yep. yep. You know, 
So a hard is hard is redundant. Just do the work. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make it hard. You know, because now as soon as you say hard, people start to stress. They tense up. You know. Yep. Okay. So um, it flips the switch you know, in your brain, and it becomes a negative yeah. that you associate with pain with your exercise and things, and that yeah. creates uh, a negative loop. It's horrible, you know. Uh, And I mean, I always, you know, when I won big races, it was actually you get in a state of flow and it feels wonderful. Wow. So when you were actually like at the top of your game and, 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 you know, winning these international events and things, um, you felt like you, so it didn't feel as if you were like killing yourself to get across the line on those days. (laughs) <laughs> oh, did it feel like me, flow? Look, you look, you always get pretty tired in a marathon. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Go, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be in and out of that, but you felt like you were prepared but, for this, but not over prepared for this, and yeah, not burnt out and sorry about it. You know, yeah. like you actually enjoyed it. You enjoyed those those top races that you really did well in. Did that feel yeah. like a oh, flow look, state? Um, that you know. So that the system that uh, that I teach is uh, it's a performance system, right? And it's geared so that you get the best you possibly can on the day that counts. And so that's uh, getting yourself into a peak performance state from wherever you're at, right? Mm-hmm. And and everybody can do that, um, and it feels amazing. And I'm sure you've felt it. You just mm-hmm. get there, and it's just like everything's clicking, right? Yep. And and you've got it, and. Um, and um, so it, it is a coordination of uh, body, heart, mind, and spirit. It's just they, they all come together and, and you reach that state of flow. And actually, for most of us, um, we don't get there because we are working too hard. Mm-hmm. We have too much tension. And uh, that getting into a peak state is actually an act of surrender. Mm-hmm. So very you know, wise, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so um, you know, when you hit it a few times, and you go, "Man, this feels so good." You know, I, I'm going to try and figure out how I got there again. And and um, you know, uh, as I said, you know, when I was young, I'd just go, "Oh, I'm going to train harder than ever yeah, before." Exactly. And you know, and then it seems to sort of go away from you and then you get injured or something or you don't perform as well yeah. because you, you're in the syndrome of hard work. You, you're over you're overcooking it. You've got excess energy. That energy has to go somewhere, you know, and it, all it does is it just messes things up. Yep. So that precision of uh, giving the stimulus that is needed for the effect and the thing is that the effect of it takes place during the recovery period, yes. not when you're actually doing the the task. So, you know. Hallelujah. That's an important point. Like, because yeah. this is the thing. Like, um, if you were, you know, like, if you, are, if you had a bad night's sleep, you've been under the pump all week with work, you've got kids who are sick and everything's going to custard, and then you go and smash yourself because it's on your list today to do a really long, hard run. Yes. You're not going to get the adaptation. You'd have been better to go, hang on, well, life's come at me this week. I'm going to actually take it a little bit easier and having that confidence to do that and back off because I think a lot of people are like, yeah, but I I have to go harder and and they congratulate themselves when they 
they they slave drive themselves and they push them through the, that that event. While that might make you mentally tougher, and there's some some advantages of that approach for a while, it isn't going to get the adaptation that you're going to want because. Actually, it's in the it's in the recovery, it's in the sleep, it's in the downtime that you're actually going to get that benefit. And if you're not if you're not able to adapt, then all that training was for nothing. Or worse, it can be even detrimental to your immune system and to your health yeah. and your mental health. Yeah, and that's a hard sell. <laughs> it's a hard, you know, tough, tough minded athletes who think that they have to. And you know, I certainly struggled with this and still do on occasion. Where you know you, but I have to go harder, and I'm not, you know, doing enough because I'm not getting the results. Therefore, you know, a little is good, more must be better, and that approach doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, look, it, it's a lack of trust, and I think a, a lot of us are brought up to sort of think in the negative all the time and uh, to talk about what we don't want to have happen, and we approach a lot of. Uh, the the things that we wish to do or the things we wish to create in our lives from a state of fear. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a real shame because that immediately puts us on the back foot mm-hmm. and then we can't get into this natural flow. So, you know, look, the world is set up for us to be creative beings and for us to have, uh, be able to manifest our dreams and make works that are worthwhile and um, and contributing mm-hmm. so that, you know, when we leave this life, we have left something better. We have used our own talents and uh, things have uh, a more um, are enhanced mm-hmm. because of our being here. And I think most people uh, have a very uh, huge drive, I, I think all human beings do, to be of value in this life in yeah. some way. Yep. And uh, I think, you know, we we started out talking about this, but we have these systems that, uh, and they're systems, they're not, they're not human, you know, they, mm. they're just systems that are put in place that eventually become self-serving and uh, they don't serve us. And so uh, they, they uh, will... Uh, perpetuate fear, etc., because it just gets us putting our energy into the system rather than putting it into ourselves and our own dreams. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that um, what we need to realise is that that it is set up in our favour. And I'll give you just one really good example of that. So when we train and we give the body a training stimulus, right? And and so to meet that. Uh, training task that run or whatever we do that workout. Um, you have used um, this uh, this fuels in your body, and you've broken apart all these bonds to provide energy to enable you to do the task. And then you stop doing it, and as soon as you stop doing it, the body gets busy and it starts to reconstitute those energy bonds and uh, etc. You know, mm-hmm. so all these adaptations are taking place, mm-hmm. um, and it brings us back to normal again, mm-hmm. but it doesn't just bring us back to normal. It, it gives us, us more. Yeah. It gives us, yeah, it makes us stronger. It Emetic gives us more, yeah. yeah, more storage space, you know, stronger muscle fibers, better oxygenation. It, it, it actually adapts itself to better accommodate what we are asking it to do. Yeah. So, so nature has given you a bonus. 
Yeah. I mean, if you can't see that everything is set up in your favor just by that little thing alone is like, wow, you know? Yeah, biology um, is just yeah. incredible. It, it, yeah. It, in, yeah, this is, these are these are hermetic stresses. So when we put our body under strain, we come back stronger. When we put ourselves under too much strain, we actually break it down. So that's that yeah. fine line that we have to for us for each of us individually find where those points are, and that will shift as we get stronger, and you'll be able to take on more training. But we have to honor the the process, to honor the uh, the hermetic stress recovery, stress recovery, and then build on that so that we can then, you know, eventually you can be running at the best if it's a training thing, but this is in every area of life, that we're more stress, we're more resilient, resilience the word. We're more able yeah. to take on yeah. the load. This is just the, the beautiful thing of all these hermetic stresses and that, you know, if we don't push ourselves at all, well, then we're going to definitely, the body's going to go, well, this is a piece of cake. I can just keep being where I'm at and then it'll actually start to decline. Yeah. What what I'd be really interested in your take um, with older people, you know, one of my passions in life is to empower older people to not give up on on their lives because uh, society says you're past it, you know, and that you've got to use by date and you you you've you've passed it, and you know all of these sorts of attitudes that are just insidious in our culture that. Um, you know, in the Māori culture, it's a little bit better where we actually respect our elders and we value their wisdom. But in general culture, it's pretty bad. And when we also have this this thing, well, when I when I retire, then I'll recover and I'll, I'll, I'll relax and I'll. And for me, that's um, the beginning of a downward spiral. So, like you know, in the rehabilitation journey that I've been on with my mum for the last five years, you know. I set her tasks every day that she has to achieve. She has goals that we're aiming for. And, of course, we have phases of recovery and and, and, and and so on. But she's always on a mission of some sort or another. And she's 79 years old and we're going forward. And I will treat her that like that until there is no hope, you know, to the end of her days. Because I believe that humans need challenge. They don't need comfort. They don't need to be, you know, molly coddled and stuck on the couch to watch telly all day because you're older now. And, you, you know, I like to see people having their challenge, whatever their challenge is, and it could be like mum's off at art classes now and just loving the creative, you know, she's got time to do something different and that's a, a, a goal that, and that's helping her brain stay on point, you know. Um, mm-hmm. What's your take on the way society sees people when they get older and you know, how do you approach that from your personal standpoint? Um, well, from my own personal standpoint of getting older, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%, Lisa, and uh, I think we need to um, uh, continually being uh, adding uh, new stimuli. And, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, they can be stress. It's, it's, it's you know, stimulate stress. It's all just you're asking the body to do new things. And uh, so then you are um, just inviting new experience into your life. And I think that as we get older, our world should be getting bigger, not smaller. Yes. Um, you know, and uh, and I do think that a lot of what we attribute to old age is just bad habit. Mm-hmm. 
you know. <laughs> it's it, accumulating it, it <laughs> over many yeah. years and makes it, you know, the typical aging things. I mean, we, we're all, we are all going to die at some point, but my goal is to live an extremely long life that is healthy until the end. That's my goal. You know, we, yeah. none of us know what's going to come at us from left field. Um, you know, I've experienced an awful lot. I know that some things can still, but that's the goal. That's the approach that I take. And so I'm doing everything in my life and in my family's life to make that as best as possible. Um, and to have constant challenge and ha- have constant goals that you're aiming for and new things that you're learning, it keeps you in this growth mindset for starters and it keeps your body not knowing what's coming. So it's still having to adapt and go and go forward rather than going backwards. And as we get older, we get wiser. Well, hopefully we do. Most of us do. We've got more experience. We, we're more able to cope with, you know, all the the emotional things that we probably weren't able to cope with when we were 20. We, we've got all these experiences. And it, it's just fantastic if we can look to our older generations as the one who provide wisdom for the ones that are coming behind and they're seen as a valuable resource in our society because, and not as being you're past it because you've, you know, you're over 50 or you're over 60 or you're over 70 or whatever this, you know, demarcation line is that people have and they put on themselves, you know, partly because society oh, does this. Yeah. And it's a horrible thing to, for you be, to be made redundant in society in terms of your value to it. Yes. And, uh, you know, that, that is largely, um, I think, uh, exacerbated by, um, our, uh, what runs the show is generally, uh, money. Yep. And, and so people are not seeing as older people as being contributing into, you know, yep. and yet we need to start valuing other things besides that. You know, uh, I think we are at the moment just with, uh, the times and what it's for, uh, a time of shifting. And uh, there's an invitation here to make sure that we reconnect with our humanness and uh, start to uh, prioritise what things we value as human beings because we're in danger of losing a lot of them. And uh, we look at our older people and we also look at our children. Now, children have a life expectancy less than that of their parents. Yes, horrific. It's the wrong direction. It's like, and, and you can't, uh, you cut off your old people, you and, you know, your young people are not benefiting uh, from the uh, wisdom that is available. And th- that wisdom um, is something that you can't put a price on. Yes. And, uh, you know, we need to get back to um, uh, away from this sort of outside focus and measuring everything in those sorts of terms and uh, start to value uh, our human relationships and um, our depth of experience and our connection to uh, the divine spark, which we all have within us, mm-hmm. and uh, to uh, to value that journey and support each other on that journey. Um, so, you know, we're, we're all in it alone and we're all in it together. Yeah, and, that's beautifully you know, put. Yeah. Yeah, um, 
I think we're we are in an age of change, and I and I you know hope things will gather some more momentum. And you know we've got lots of problems in the world, but we've also got lots of opportunities now to to change things. And you know, in the areas that I'm working in, I'm seeing huge changes taking place within you know just the last few years, and that's you know encouraging. And then there is lots of you know negativity, but I like to focus on the positivity. But mm-hmm. you know, I think. Um, yeah, let's start valuing our elder, our older population. Um, they have a lot to bring to the party, and what we want to do is help people stay healthier longer. And that requires a bit of a mindset shift. Like when I when I take my mum to the gym and she's training her butt off there at seventy nine years old, and people know where she's come from, like been in a wheelchair for a few years and not been able to do anything, and now she's doing all this, you know, crazy stuff. Well, you know, compared to where she was at. Um, that's a role model. She's a role model for so many older people who now have actually joined the gym and, uh, you know, are doing stuff because they go, well, if Isabel can do it, I can do it. You know, and that's, to me, the greatest uh, beautiful thing that's come out of that tragic journey that we've been on. It's empowering now other people to not give up just because they're older and to have that attitude of, of, of I'm going to fight my way back and then, you know, and it's it's a team it's a team event, you know. I'm Mum's coach and mentor and driver. She's the one who's willing to put in the hard yards and to do whatever I ask her to do to the best of her ability. And that's a winning combination. Um, and I'd like to see more people have that if they've been on rehabilitation journeys, even for younger people, that they've got someone in their corner that's willing to help them fight. Because when you're in um, a big health battle. You need people fighting with yeah, you and alongside you. you. Yeah. And when, when you're down and you don't have the energy, you yeah. know, that, that's what families are for. Mm-hmm. That's what families are for to, um, to help you when you, you, need, you need a help. And, yep. you know, you can all be putting in and, and bringing it together. And I, I just think this um, uh, divorcing ourselves from old people and just, you know, giving them a bunch of pulls to yeah. <laughs> And then putting them in, them in front, front of the telly. What yeah. a waste. What, what a, a waste. incredible waste of resources. Yep. And loneliness um, yeah. and despair and all of those things. And the value of that person's life history is just disappearing when it could be being imparted. If they, and if we can keep their minds active and their bodies as strong as possible for as long as possible, they have a great value. It's not like, you know, you know, from a from a from a societal standpoint, it's often thought, well, once you retire, you're no longer adding value to society. It's you know measured in monetary value, and you're costing more in the health system. So, you know, hopefully, you don't live too long. That's just an approach to me that is just horrific. You know, and mm-hmm. and, and the way that society treats its young and its old and its vulnerable is mm-hmm. is the mark of a of a civilization. I think that is, you know, is, that is what we should be measured by, you know, yeah, not how the strong. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, I think the example of your mom is that uh, all we have to do is take care of what's in front of us and do the best that we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is uh, being an example to other people. It just starts to, you know, so she's going to the gym and other people see her and they go out and they have a whole different uh, mindset about yep. the possibilities and what happens and um, and that's all it takes, you yep. know. 
And that's, yeah. a, you know, and, and you like the work that you're doing too, like that's imparting your knowledge. You know, you could be sitting back in a beach somewhere and just enjoying life. Instead, you're still teaching, you're sharing, you're, you're imparting that valuable knowledge that you have to other people. And that is gold. You know, it's so important. And so, so Gary, your, your lovely brother, who I, who I absolutely adore and admire, I think he's, he's crazy and awesome at the same time. Um, you know, still world, uh, you know, leading mountain biker, you know, at his yeah. age. And uh, he certainly helped me on my journey when I was broken and burnt out and came to him, at, 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 you know, a few years ago going, but Gary, I'm broken. <laughs> Can you help yeah. fix me? And and you know he he put pieces of the puzzle back together again and helps you know gave me a, actually a role model because he'd done the same thing, burned himself out and blown himself apart, and he'd found a way back. And so that was a role model for me. There is a way back when you when you have smashed the crap out of your body and you had, didn't listen to it. Um, and the work that he's doing is, is I think, is fantastic. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Well, you know, and it's the same. It doesn't matter what age you are; your cells are still regenerating themselves, mm-hmm. and you can still direct that process mm-hmm. to make a better you than you were before, day it's, by day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and we do things in increments. It's yep. just giving it just the just a bit of uh, what you want in the direction that you wish to. Uh, to, to go, wish to go. And, yep. and you don't need to be perfect. Yeah. You can just be inching your way forward with you know one bite at a time and one exercise session at a time and you know one good sleep at a time. All of these things add up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're totally aligned, Lorraine. This has been a really interesting, amazing conversation. I think uh, we need to have a couple more privately because <laughs> I think there's a lot yeah. more that we need to discuss and maybe do some things together. But I really just want to thank you for your time today. It's been really an insight. You are a legend in the in the sport, um, and what what you've achieved is just nothing short of amazing. I remember, you know, um, as a kid watching you and a lot of your fellow people in that in that age group who just did amazing things and it was awesome to have like Rod on last week uh on the show as well um and it's you know that's that's those are role models for me you know okay I never went to the Olympics or anything like that but I did things in my own way and that that's you 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 pioneered a path especially for women to be able to do long-distance running, and that's just gold. Well, thank you very much, Lisa. You know, it's been an exciting journey, and I I feel so privileged to have been born in this time and in this body and uh, to have had the experiences that I've had, and and, and it's not over yet. Hell no. (laughs) The best is yet to come. That's that's the approach you have to have, and you're obviously still doing that. Um, Lorraine, where can people uh, find you if they want to, you know, learn about what you're doing, read your book on the wings of Mercury? Um, Where's the best place to reach out to you? Yeah, they can uh, reach me at Lorraine at LydiaDFoundation.org. So you've got to get your I's and A's in the right order. (laughs) Lydia. Yeah, like Lydia with a R-D. And uh, yeah, just write to me. Um, They can go to our website, Mm -hmm. LydiaDFoundation.org, and to see the programs that we've got and uh, we have quite a few New Zealand coaches. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
They've been through the course and uh, they, they're very popular and we've got a, a lot of wonderful things and um, expanding it all the time. So. Awesome. Maybe we collaborate and you know, go and do them, uh, do one of those as well. Always adding courses to my list of things that I have to do. That might be, be one of them that I have to add. <laughs> oh, you, you'd be most welcome, Lisa. We'd love to have you. Thanks, Lorraine. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.